0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rhythm Changes Podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound. Here in New Westminster, Anthony Cenerini, the recording engineer at his studio, has a special rate for you, the listeners of this show. He has a special deal where you can get up to 20% off by going to 12 streetca slash RCP. Get that discount on your next recording project. But here's the thing. I've been telling you about this for a little bit now, and we're actually running out of time to get it done as it was originally put together for you by anthony that's right he's running this promotion until september 30th so that's coming up fast here as we approach the end of this month of september 2022 next week you're going to want to reach out to anthony now take advantage of this special offer go to 12street.ca rcp to learn more about how you can get up to 20 percent off your next recording project locally here that's 1-2-T-H-S-T dot C-A slash R-C-P and book with Anthony to get going on your next recording project. Thanks to 12th Street for sponsoring the show. <laughs> this episode is also sponsored by Railtown Mastering and we're really getting into it now because Andrew Downton, the engineer at Railtown, who has his own mastering studio there in Vancouver, he's mastered a lot of my stuff, including my first album, some of the EPs I've put out since. And now I'm putting out my second album, So it's uploaded, I've pitched it to some editorial playlists already. I'm putting together a little campaign. I'm booking some local gigs for the fall too. And this is all powered by Andrew's great work on the mastering, because mastering is an essential step when you're finishing an album project. It's where you prepare the files from the mixes to get them ready for release in whatever format you like. Now for me, that's just digital, but I went to Andrew and he did a great job. So I recommend that when you're getting your music done, you work with him as well. You can do that by emailing him directly at andrew at railtownmastering.com or visit railtownmastering.com to learn more today. Work with Andrew in 2022. Normally when I cover an album on rhythm changes it's already out but this one is not it is a vocal jazz album with some spiritual elements from a singer who's originally from Vancouver here and has lived in Montreal currently is there now actually this conversations in my vault it's from a little while ago but I dig it and I was really excited to share it with you so I just decided to go for it that's up next you're listening to the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. Our guest today is getting ready to release her second album, The Beloved, with Dan Reynolds on piano, Alex Kelly on bass, and Bernie Arai on drums. On the album, she sets poetry to music. She moved from Vancouver to Montreal in 2019. She has a Master of Arts in Creative Arts Therapy from Concordia University, and she is a certified music therapist. You can find her at sarahkennedymusic.com, active on Facebook at Sarah Kennedy Music, or Instagram at Sarah Kennedy underscore music. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Sarah Kennedy.
1: Hello, nice to be (laughs) here.
0: I find your project really unique because of how you've set poetry to music here. As far as I can tell, it comes from an American poet named Daniel Ladinsky, who draws a lot of inspiration from a Sufi poet in the 14th century named Hafiz. So can you talk about where the lyrics to these tracks on your album, The Beloved, came from?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't really know any of that when I was reading the poems and being inspired by them. What happened was a friend of mine was using the book, uh, The Gift by Daniel Ladinsky for a meditation practice. And I was sort of going through an emotionally challenging time in my life. This friend of mine suggested that I get this book. I just sort of flipped open the book and started reading the poems. I didn't read about the author first or about his relationship to Hafiz first, I just started looking at the poems. And as I was going through the book, I found the poems very comforting and uplifting. I started hearing melodies to the poems. It was really exciting because I actually hadn't composed prior to that. It was the first time that I guess something just activated my musical creativity. I guess I probably worked on about 13 different poems, but I ended up with seven that I really, really loved.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting process to have to do that and to come up with not just the melody, but also the harmony and the arrangements. Mm -hmm. And your collaborators on this album are Dan, Alex, and Bernie in the band and Michael Rush as a producer and a mixer. So... Who amongst you got involved in fleshing out those songs after you started Mm. writing the melodies and how did that work?
1: Yeah. Well, it was really actually me and Dan. So I wrote down the melodies and song structures and I had a little bit of idea of harmony for some of them. Then I went over to Dan's apartment and said, hey, check out this poetry. I've written some melodies and would you help me with the harmony part? It was really me and Dan, the musical composition part, and the songs ended up all very connected to each other by the poetry, but very stylistically different from each other. I don't know. I mean, I've heard them so many times at this point that it's hard for me to tell the effect of that on a new listener, Yeah. but for me... It's just interesting that you can have songs that are so different from each other, but still somehow connected to each other.
0: Yeah. And you still connected them to the kinds of jazz arrangements that you'd done. Because on your first album from 2015, you have a mix of the different jazz arrangement styles that you'd expect, right? Like you've got some bossa novas, you've got some swing, you've got some straight eighth grooves. Yeah, And you have those same things on this album because you have like a swing tune that's like, I think of it as like the jazz standard Killer Joe, that kind of groove on like (laughs) when the violin. Yes. One of the tracks in the middle of the album. And then you also have all these great kind of straight eighth grooves like And For No Reason, which is the first track. And the last track with, is that mallets or hand drums on The Lamp That Needs No Oil? That's a really cool drum sound, but that's another straight eighth groove, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and that one, you can really hear the parallel fifths. And it almost like reminds you of being in a monastery. Yeah. It's probably the most meditative track
0: of the whole album. The Lamp That Needs No Oil. And you have the most vocal overdubbed harmonization going on on that track, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: so we recorded all of the tunes in, in one day at Afterlife Studios. But then when I was listening back to them with Michael Rush in his little studio, I was like, you know, I'm hearing some vocal harmonies. So I just sang those michael just recorded them in a couple hours i just improvised those harmonies nice. when hearing back the, yeah, but the not in the same
0: studio not at no. afterlife studios this is on a different day yeah yeah you're, you're like oh, reacting. like months later you're months like reacting later. to your own stuff right it was
1: actually so we recorded the album on july 19th 2019. yeah i left i think eight days later for montreal
0: Right, yeah, that was right around the time. So that's
1: partly why the recording session is a blur, because I was also like relocating (laughs) across the country. But then I recorded the vocal harmonies when I came back for a visit that December. Oh, cool. So it was actually months later.
0: Yeah, oh, that's a neat way that that happened. That was one of my favorite tracks for sure, that closing track, The Lamp That Needs No Oil. I have lit the lamp that needs no oil. I just thought that was a cool phrase. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Is that also where you came up with the title, The Beloved, because I know in that song, the word beloved is kind of prominent in the arrangement. Yeah,
1: so The Beloved is, I guess, a name that appears many times in the poetry book. I think one of the things that was important for me about this music was that for a long time, I had almost been sort of anti-spiritual because I had had some inner conflicts with religion and I had just kind of, shut down that aspect of myself but this poetry is so open it has spiritual themes but there's no clear religious elements in the poetry it somehow allowed me to feel free to explore that the beloved i find it to possibly have different meanings in a lot of the poetry there's reference to a sense of oneness You'll also hear the word dissolve in some of the poems and it's sort of like dissolving into oneness and the relief of that idea. And so the beloved to me, it can be like the part of your, you can be talking about yourself or it can be the beloved as in like, you know, the feeling of something greater than yourself that maybe you're connected to that word isn't particularly associated with a defined entity yeah it's not you know? god or it's yeah. not
0: anything fixed like that yeah, yeah it's like you can fill in the blanks sort of yeah yeah that's interesting i think that's also what i like about a lot of instrumental jazz is like mm. it gives you a mood and then you have to fill the, in the
1: openness blanks. yeah you can well and this is a music therapy thing too like we project ourselves onto music like when we hear it and we sort of decide what the feeling is or what memories it brings up for us you know we're projecting our inner psyche onto the music. And when something's open like that, it allows you to do that more than if it's very clearly defined and structured. Like I don't project so much onto Mozart,
0: Yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, you have to make a lot of leaps to be able to relate to it because it's from a different time in such a different context, right?
1: Oh, it's very complicated because music can be attached to specific memories or it can be cultural or it can be emotional. It's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Or yeah. can it be just the intrinsic qualities of the music, yeah, that you connect to?
0: So you recorded your album in an amazing space, Afterlife mm-hmm. Studios. I've never had the pleasure to record there myself. What mm. was your experience like in that summer of 2019 at Afterlife Studios?
1: It was it was great. I mean, <laughs> as I said before, it's kind of a blur. I was isolated in my own little room. Bernie was semi isolated. And Dan and Alex were in the same space, but just with sort of sound barriers between them. There's a flight of stairs to another level, and and that's where the sound tech would be looking over the band. And um, that's where they're doing the mixing. So Michael was hanging up there. And actually, I invited... um, I don't know if you know Paulo. Yeah, uh, I invited him to come and hang out because he'd never seen a, a studio recording. Oh, and he came and he was hanging out for that day too, and he took some photos. So he joined us, and I—I I mean, it was a good day. Yeah, <laughs> the what studio more needs day to be is always said. a good day. I don't know. I think we yeah. did like two or three takes of each tune, and solid. Yeah,
0: yeah. When I hear the song practice this new bird call i think like that's basically a rock song do you know what i mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well kind of like a funk song and that came from looking at the melody and realizing what the rhythms of the melody were and Mm -hmm. what kind of groups but also the attitude of it like the the poem i find that to be probably the most controversial song in terms of the content of the poem because You know, there's nothing in your mind you have not invited in. Yeah. It's really calling you out on creating your own reality, you know? Wow. And we don't know how much we influence the things that happen in our lives, but this poem is saying every single bit of it, you know? It's a bit of a more aggressive tune, I think. So the arrangement Um,
0: suits it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That was true for pretty much all of the arrangements was it was the tone of the content of the poem that inspired the musical decisions.
0: Right, and you got to get the melody going first. So it's like there's a three-step thing there before it kind of starts to gel with your band because you got to get the poem and then you have to put your melody on it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to figure out what kind of arrangement that suggests, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, like, for example, It Felt Love... That's in three.
0: Yeah, it's like a, it's like a it's, straight eight waltz, not, yeah. the, not the swing waltz. That's She yeah. Responds, right? That, yeah, th- that's It Felt right. Love, that's a straight it waltz. It Felt
1: Love is the straight waltz. And it, it's very much like a hymn, actually. Yeah. Like the melody of it. So there's actually two melodies over the same chord changes on that song. The first melody was the one that I composed right at the beginning. And I wrote a melody, but then I was like, I want this to be brighter. And so it became like this Lydian hymn. And then, of course, Dan had all these amazing chord change ideas. And there's actually multiple chord changes that happen with that melody during the arrangement. And then after, as we were approaching recording day, I was like, ah, there's something just too simple about this arrangement because it's very short. Like the form of the tune, that that was the shortest poem. So I was like, ah. And then I I was just listening to it and I heard, oh, like I could write a counter melody that is similar but contrasting. And so that's how you end up with those two melodies on that track that are interwoven um, and the voice is singing the same poem. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So if you had to figure out, well, you will have to figure this out, actually. As this album spreads across the world and as you promote it, you will encounter... The situation where you got to figure out what other music out there sounds like this, right? And where does it fit in? I've got some ideas about that, but I'm curious what yours might be. Oh, please tell
1: me. Well, it's difficult because when you go to submit, for example... So with my first album, I really didn't know like build up promotion or anything. That album for me was like learning how to make an album. Nice. And I didn't have any... Structured plan of of what to do aside from just like selling it at gigs, and yeah. I did a release party here, you um, did it at Pat's Pub, right? Yep. Yeah. But with this album, I feel like this is my album for learning how you would make a plan to try and really promote something. But it's really not a very commercial album. It's not. It's not easily put into a category where oh yeah, it clearly belongs on this Spotify playlist. Like it's not that kind of an album. It's spiritual but it's not religious so you can't like you can't put it into any kind of religious genre. Yeah. And it's jazz but it's not like it's kind of experimental but it doesn't even quite fall into experimental but it's definitely it's not standards yeah. either. So even within jazz I don't I'm not sure how to categorize it. <laughs> how much of a
0: connection do you feel to the whole spiritual jazz niche because that exists but it's pretty instrumental based?
1: Um you know i connect more to specific artists like i really like gretchen parlato
0: oh yeah there you go
1: i i really like um becca stevens um and i think that you can hear some of that influence in the album i agree um i've been heavily influenced by Joni mitchell and that's one thing that dan said when i showed him especially um and for no reason just the way that I wrote the eighth notes or phrased phrased the lines, he was like, oh, this sounds like this is like a Joni tune. Yeah. But that doesn't give me a genre.
0: <laughs> you don't need a genre. <laughs> I was thinking the Crescent Parlato and Becca Stevens were great ones. I was thinking of one of my favorite albums of last year, 2021, Earth Voices by Amanda Tosoff. That's oh, not a spiritual okay, album, but there's right. a lot of sonic Right. similarities there perhaps yeah, 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 and i think like somebody like matthew halsall who's a english trumpeter he makes a great kind of contemporary version of spiritual jazz and it's instrumentally focused for sure but i think you would fit in with that sound for okay. sure you would be have a mutual appreciation between his music and yours yeah
1: yeah yeah so there huh. is
0: some stuff out there for sure you'll find them <laughs>
1: back when when dan and i were playing together more um we also listened to a lot of normal Winstone. oh yeah and nice. i actually sent her the private soundcloud link to, to this album to see if uh, she would have anything to say because i i met her when i was in the uk for a year um nice. and she uh she said she'll get to it. Well, but. now
0: I know I have one thing in common with uh, Norma Winstone in my life is that I press play on SoundCloud on your album. Mm. <laughs> That's mm. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did a Joni, speaking of Joni, and Mingus tribute show at one I point, did. right? yes. Yeah. Any threads from that coming through here?
1: You know, perhaps. Um, I decided to do that show after hearing... The Mingus album, the one where he commissioned Joni Mitchell to, um, write lyrics to his compositions and it was his dying album. And that is a very spiritual album. There you go. Um, like A Chair in the Sky, uh, the way that Joni wrote the lyrics for that tune, it's sort of, I suspect it's supposed to be Mingus reflecting on his life and- it um the the words are next time I'll be bigger, next time I'll be better than ever. It's sort of talking about the possibility of reincarnation. Um yeah, that's a really heavy album. Wow. <laughs> but so I so we covered that entire album. Um and Dan played those shows with me too. We covered the Mingus album, plus there are a couple of Mingus tunes written with lyrics, um, Eclipse was one of them, and Weird Nightmare. So we played those. Um, the band played a couple of Mingus instrumental pieces, and then um, I threw in a smattering of Joni, various pieces of her work in that show. I, that was the show that I did for the Jazz Festival in 2016, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then another tribute show you did was to Blossom Deary, and I wanted to bring that up because there's a cosmic connection here. You've come... To the Rhythm Changes podcast studio in New West, and we're meeting for the first time. But we can have a connection here over a Blossom Deary song, actually. It's pretty okay. funny because there's a another band in Vancouver and previous podcast guests, Wild Blue Herons, Darlene Cooper and Bill Sample. They released an album in November 2021. And at their release show at the Bez Arts Hub in Langley, not on their album, they did a cover of the song called I'm hip written by Dave Frischberg. Yeah. And Dave Frishberg had sadly passed away two days before that album release concert, but you did that song in your Blossom Deary tribute.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually did that show a number of times. I think, I think I did it twice at Frankie's. Yeah. Um, And I was throwing Blossom tunes into my regular gigs as well. But um, there's a huge, like her career was from like the 40s until the 80s and uh, people, well, David Frischberg wrote music for her yeah, because only her voice would would have that sort of humorous kind of cute um, sound to it. So anyway, there's just a huge amount of repertoire to choose from if you want to do a Blossom Deary tribute show. And so I ended up doing a few of them because I have like maybe four hour long sets worth of Blossom Deary music. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's that's a
1: lot, yeah. (laughs) And there's more that I would like to make charts of, you know, Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Who was your band for that?
1: Ooh, um, Nick Peck was on keys. Michael Rush was on bass. uh, Sam Cartwright played drums and i think bill coon played with us yeah f- one time and i think chris fraser oh, played nice. but i can't remember because i also had um um parker woods played with oh, me yeah. sometimes around the time that i was doing that show so i can't remember which shows he played on but yeah nice yeah oh and i forgot to say for the Joni stuff tristan paxton played guitar and he was on my first album too
0: nice well, you've worked with so many great guitarists and piano <laughs> players there, because you used to play with Nick Peck a whole bunch. Yes, we brought up Dan Reynolds a whole bunch. Yeah, he's been one of your longtime collaborators. Yeah. When did you start collaborating with him?
1: That would have been, whew, maybe, maybe 2012. It was around the time when I just started going to CAP. Yeah. I had done a year at VCC and then I transferred to CAP. And then Dan came back to Vancouver after doing his degree at McGill. And our fathers knew each other and introduced us. And then we just started doing duo and trio gigs wherever anyone would pay us 50 bucks, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I grew up here in New West and I know one of the places you performed at a bunch was the Heritage Grill. Yeah, And I have a funny connection with that because I have a song that I put out called Don't Miss Me that kind of has a lot of emotional connections to that place for me. But that was one of the places you used to gig a, a fair bit, right?
1: That was where I had my first paid gig, actually. Nice. I think Heritage it might have been one
0: of my first ones, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the, it burned down last yes. year.
0: Yeah, it burned down last yeah. year in 2021. Yeah. 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 And then after that, you got into your day non-music career of physiotherapy or were you already doing that previously?
1: I was already doing that. Nice. Uh, before going into jazz studies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so then that evolved into music therapy in some kind of tangential way. How well, did that happen?
1: so I actually became much happier once I started performing and doing music more seriously. But I don't know. I was maybe a little bit reliant on the the stability of of the medical career and I still do it but slowly over time it became apparent that I wanted just more and more space for the music part and so initially I was just super happy to be doing any music cuz I hadn't been doing any but then after yeah over time I just realized like even this isn't enough like I can't have 5 days of my week not doing music yeah I'm not sure exactly why I reconsidered music therapy but I guess because I didn't completely want to give up my skills as uh, someone who helps people with their well-being.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting feeling of the tension between the day career and how to find more space for your music. I think that's something that a lot of people would relate to. And you've been in that for a few years now, thinking about that and making progress on both ends to try and find the balance you want, right? So Mm -hmm. So imagine somebody was where you were at a few years ago in realizing that they wanted to
1: find that space for
0: music in their life. What would you say to them now?
1: You just have to keep holding that possibility open and just looking for the opportunities and looking for the things that fit with your life, uh, the way that it is flowing, you know, because what, what maybe work has worked for me is going to completely not fit the life or the personality or the desires of, of someone else, another musician. We don't all, musicians are very diverse and, and definitely a lot of musicians like cringe at the idea of being a music therapist, you know? So, um, just to find what feels right and just kind of vaguely keep going in that direction and, and, you're never at an end point, you know?
0: Yeah. And you don't yeah. really know how far along you are either. You nope. can't really measure that.
1: Nope. Yeah. But I will say that it definitely makes a big difference when you decide that you want like there I guess there was a point where I felt that I wanted more time for music, but I wasn't necessarily actively consciously trying to make that happen. And but I didn't realize what a big difference it would make in my musicianship if you are uncompromising on pushing other things out of your life so that you can have more time for music uh it it makes more of a difference than you think it will in in your skill set
0: wow yeah. that's really cool i appreciate you digging deep and finding <laughs> something there that's awesome i do have a couple more odds and ends that I want to ask you about while you're here that I think are interesting or that I want to hear about. One of them is that you attended in 2017 the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. Mm -hmm. I've heard about that because I've listened to the DIY Musician Podcast and I'm familiar with CD Baby as a distributor. So what was that like?
1: Well, um, so one of the reasons why I ended up going was because um, I... I have a family member who had me list, who works for an airline, who had me listed as their travel buddy so I could travel cheaply. And I have two friends that live in Nashville that I went to high school with that I hadn't seen in 18 years. And I saw that this conference was happening. I really wanted to go. And I was like, wait a second. I know someone in Nashville. And they said, sure, yeah, come stay with us. And the conference itself at the time was only like 150 bucks. So um, I was like, what the heck? I'm going to go. And it was three days of just a very wide variety of people in the music industry. Obviously geared towards the United States a lot more than um, the Canadian music scene. Um so you know they had a speaker from Spotify. They had a a music business like an entertainment lawyer. Um they had what's his name? Rick Rick Barker. I think he he's like a promote yourself on social media guy for musicians. There was just lots and lots of um music industry people. It's not specific to jazz at all in fact there's very little jazz at the conference whatsoever um but like pop music country hip-hop um you know uh any other genre (laughs) there's a lot of that i shouldn't say there was none it's just that um that conference is how to get yourself more commercially viable yeah yeah. What
0: did you learn about that? What sticks out in your mind from going there around that time when you were learning about that stuff?
1: Um, you know, I, I think that sometimes the idea of promoting yourself in that really um, commercial way is very frowned upon <laughs> in some ways by, by artists. Like, um, it's almost like kind of... It's the necessary evil, but for some people, it's just too evil and they just won't participate. <laughs> and what I, what it was interesting was to go to a place where everyone was all in, I'm going to do everything it takes to promote myself no matter what. And to be around it, sort of immersed in a culture where that's okay to do and that's expected and it's not self indulgent, it's just part of what you do. So I think that that was beneficial.
0: I also saw this photo you posted a while back of a concert ticket that I thought was pretty interesting. And we were talking about this before we went on air and it was dated December 14th, 1994. And you saw Kenny G and Tony Braxton. But you said when you went to this concert, you didn't know much about jazz, which is what you've been playing ever since pretty much. And you didn't know anything about Kenny G. You were there to see Tony Braxton. That's right. So what happened on that fateful night?
1: Well... I mean, I had a best friend at the time who was really into like dancing to the, the latest pop artists and she was really into Tony Braxton. And she basically dragged me along to this concert and I didn't know who Kenny G was and to be honest, I don't think I really started listening to jazz till like maybe 7 years later. But uh I mean, Tony Braxton was great and then I I don't remember a a lot about the Kenny G concert afterwards. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think we left early, but um, I do remember how he entered the room. Like we we were waiting. It was like, okay, when is he going to start? What's going on? And then he, we hear this, this tone, (laughs) this tone coming out of his horn. And he's like at the back, uh, like at the top, like, of the he was on the main level but like at the back entry of one of the seating areas and then he was holding the tone and he just kept he just kept playing one note for like eight minutes oh, yeah, or something the and reading. the audience was like oh my gosh he's so cool. he's still going <laughs> it was like so impressive you know we were f- we were 15 and uh t- Kenny G was not cool to us then and um yeah, uh, we just, I, I don't really remember much of the, <laughs> the rest of the show.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a funny, Is this, so is that like your earliest standout concert memory now when you look back at it?
1: Um, you know, I, I went to a lot of like 90s grunge rock concerts okay. when I was in high school. Um, I went to Lilith Fair. I saw Smashing Pumpkins live a bunch of times, Foo Fighters, like wow, that. That genre. <laughs> um, that was mostly what I listened to in high school. Um, nice. And those are the concerts I remember.
0: That's That stuff is very cool now, you know. It, everything hits a certain threshold when it comes back in, you know. The, yeah. That, that era of music has definitely uh, crossed that curve coming yeah. into now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Last thing I'm curious about, because you've made the move from Vancouver to Montreal to do that program, you're currently living in Montreal. Which city has your heart right now? Where do you want to be going forward? And how do you think about that between the two places? Are you in Montreal? Are you coming back here? What's on your mind in terms of where?
1: My my plan for now is to stay in Montreal. Um, Vancouver will always be home. I think it'll always be my hometown. And I, I don't know for sure that at some point in the future I won't be back here. Um, but I've actually tried, kind of tried to leave a few times. Um, I did my physiotherapy training in New Zealand. So at age 18, I lived away from Vancouver for four years. Oh, nice. And I came back when I was 22. Um, And then in 2014, I went and lived in London for a year. And um, both excursions away from home, I just it's it's actually a very big undertaking to relocate and it's actually very emotionally demanding and I don't think that I had the skills just as a human being to create to to um launch myself to a new location successfully and um this time I really prepared myself for the possibility that I wouldn't come back and I um I was making a concerted effort to prepare myself for that before I left. Now, I didn't know there would be a pandemic, which also made it a lot harder, but um, I don't know how to say why I've moved. It was more of just a feeling that I needed to, sort of a feeling that I had maybe hit some kind of a dead end um, with where I was before I left. And I'm still very intrigued Um, it's more of just a feeling that there's so much to uncover and so much potential for growth for me there. Um, But I won't say that any place has my heart. I have my heart. (laughs) Where I go, I'll be fine.
0: I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a pleasure to meet you here in the Vancouver area and thanks for making the time with me while you're back and I'm wishing you all the best with your new album. That was fun.
1: Thank you. That was super fun.